0: Welcome to Microeconomics. This is a special media series brought to you by Carmen. This is an extension of our podcast called One. But in the wake of COVID-19, we thought we'd bring a little something extra to the table. So what we've been doing is taking a deep dive in certain industry categories, talking to leaders in those spaces, executives, uh, entrepreneurs, investors, and getting a good sense of what's going on around those boardrooms that they're involved with at the moment. Uh, For those of you who don't know, Carbon is a impact investment group focused on creating economies in a box, addressing massive consistent problems for humanity. So essentially we create carbon copies of proven businesses and take them around the world in areas of unmet demand to solve uh, humanity's most pressing issues. My name is Shane Varamille. I'm a co-founder and managing partner of Carbon. My background has mostly been in the emerging growth space since inception. Uh, Everything from venture capital to startup operations to advisory and impact. Over the years, we've been able to amass a quite substantial network of talented individuals and friends. And those are the opinions that we're trying to bring to the forefront. So with that, I'm gonna turn this over to our guest today. We have Anthony Orso, who is the current president of Newmark Capital Markets and the former CEO of Cantor Fitzgerald Commercial Real Estate. We also have Amy Saunders from Titan Capital and Hakim Vallez, who is a former NFL player and also a private real estate investor for multi-tenant properties across the United States. Uh, We're gonna start out talking about the commercial industry first and then going into residential. Uh, I'll kick this off with my good friend, Anthony Orso. I would love to get a little bit of the status of what you're seeing, what's going on, and just uh, a little bit about your background as well.
1: Sure. So uh, thanks for uh, having me join. It's a pleasure to be on the phone with everyone. And I'm sure like everyone else, we're all hibernating, uh, experiencing Groundhog Day each day. So it's nice to actually talk to some people. Um, So as as Shane said, I've mostly been in the finance world. Um, I've done over $250 billion in financing. I started uh, a big part of my career at Credit Suisse and spent uh, over a decade there running North American real estate finance. From there, I uh, started one of the early non banks after the last crisis in 2010 and 11 uh, called Canter Commercial Real Estate CCRE, where we were one of the early participants in the recovery of the real estate finance market um after the crash the last time we created a national company did over 50 billion dollars in financing in a short period of time I expanded our commercial financing business to include Fannie and Freddie multifamily financing and servicing and ultimately we sold most of that business from one canner entity to Newmark which is another canner public entity and i moved over about 18 months as part of that sale at Newmark, I'm part of uh, the leadership and executive committee um, of the firm specializing in capital markets, uh, specifically finance. Newmark is about 5,500 people in about 160 offices across the country. We're part of the global Knight Frank uh, platform. Night Frank in total is about 16,000 people and uh, about 550 offices across the world, all real estate. Um, I, I, I have, we have two calls a week, which I'm gonna reference as part of this conversation, where we bring, uh, on Mondays, all of the capital markets folks across the country, it's about 400 people at Newmark, um, and it involves financing, investment sales, it involves uh, um, all of our advisory work, it involves our, our tenant, uh, all of our appraisal work, we have about 700 appraisers across the country, and we do that call every Monday, and we've, this is the third Monday we've done it. And then, and then on Fridays, we have a smaller group. It's about 50 people, it includes the executive committee and you know some of our leaders across the country. And for the last two weeks, what we've heard is deal after deal after deal is crashing and dying, mostly because the debt capital markets have stopped. And they've stopped for lots of reasons. So the big banks, um, you know, and I've been in the CMBS business for 20 years, the big banks are all stuck with collateral. They can't sell. AAA bonds for CMBS were 75 to, let's call it 85. They ballooned up to around 350. Now I think you can potentially get a bit of maybe 175 to 200, but it really tells you uh, and I've seen this movie before, is that there's just no liquidity. The real buyers of the paper, the insurance companies, the pension funds, the you know the large money management companies, they're just not buying, and they're not buying because they have their own issues in their own portfolio, and they, they feel like there's no reason to buy. So all the banks are stuck with billions and billions of dollars of loans that they can't sell, that they've now had to mark. And remember, in most of these securitizations, 80% of the collateral is AAA, so when AAA bonds are going from, let's call it 100 to 300, you know that's a massive mark-to-market loss. So all the banks are stuck with collateral. The most sort of glaring collateral that didn't get out the door is Blackstone bought a bunch of hotels in a net lease format in Vegas from uh, MGM and a lot of that paper, probably four or $5 billion of that paper didn't get out the door. So it's all sitting at Citibank and Goldman and a few other big banks. But again, you know, Vegas is shut. When will Vegas come back again? Well, the last time we had a market crash, it took years before Vegas got to the point where it got to. So, you know, remember when you think about Vegas, It's all driven by people who do who do uh, events. So every event is canceled. Who knows which ones will get restarted? Who knows when? And who knows when people start canceling events, when they decide maybe we shouldn't do that. And that happened certainly the last crash. So you got billions and billions of dollars of paper, you know, uh, just from Blackstone's purchase right before this whole thing happened. And that's clogging up the system. The last time, the way the market got back in 2010 and 2011, is under some of the TALF programs, the government essentially financed hedge funds, roughly 90% non-recourse financing to buy structured products, which included uh, CMBS. That's really what got the markets back again, and ultimately, a lot of that paper got bought by hedge funds, and then ultimately resold when the market was stable to again insurance companies and pension funds and, and and real money buyers. So until the government comes up with a program like that, and I know Steve, I've known Steve Mnuchin for 25 years, he certainly understands this. Where this is in their priority, probably not high. But until you see that, I don't think you're going to see any activity in real estate other than people trying to deal with. Tenants not paying rent. Whether they should pay their own mortgages, I can tell you. You know, it's, it was released I think last Saturday that uh, Newmark and JLL are representing. We work globally as a restructuring advisor. What that means is, you know, just at Newmark alone, we're working on over 400 locations. Uh, about 350 in the Northeast, a big majority in New York where there's gonna be a restructuring of all those leases. We work as an example in New York was one of the largest tenants. So now you take a situation where banks aren't lending, people don't know if they're gonna collect their own rents and one of the largest tenants in the market is signaling to the market that it's gonna restructure. Well, restructuring only means one thing, gonna pay less. Don't restructure and pay more. Even if you extend leases, that doesn't help a short term problem. So again, we find ourselves in a situation, there's no liquidity. The non-banks, the mortgage REITs, they've gotten killed. The equity REITs have gotten killed. So I just don't see any short-term answer, even if the government comes in today and says "We'll, we'll finance the acquisition of structured products like CMBS and repo facilities. Well, again, hedge funds will react, but it'll be relatively slow. And it'll mean that real commercial real estate will be in a tough position for six, nine, maybe twelve months. That's kind of my prediction. Shane, so is that Anthony, what you were looking you for?
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I love that recap. I think that's great. Can you touch a little bit more on the um, kind of the cash flow to mortgage issue? Like, how many months of cash flow are out there before you know things start bottoming out for a lot of these um, these, these landlords?
1: So, so April, you know, is, you're paying April mortgages based upon collections in March. Most people got their collections in March. So let's start with multifamily. Um, in most uh, instances, in most large cities, tenants are being told you don't have to pay for three months. Um, I can tell you it's unclear whether that money can be recovered later. So let's just use New York. The governor has said over and over again, well, you don't have to pay your rent for three months. He hasn't really said whether um, it would be collectible later in the lease, hasn't said what the courts will do. So for most owners of multifamily in New York City, they have to assume they're not gonna get at least three months of rent on a majority of their lower income pro- you know, properties. So the first question becomes, do they pay their mortgages? Well, I could tell you Fannie and Freddie on the multifamily side and on the, on the, on the single family home side have talked about, you know, three or four months, months of, of mortgage forgiveness that gets added on to the end of the term. But, but again, that, that only covers a portion of the loans that they're involved in. They certainly have a big market share in the single family home on the multifamily side you know, they probably have a 50% market share, but in New York City, maybe they have a 20% market share. So what you're gonna be left with in New York City in particular, as it relates to multifamily, is lots of banks and insurance companies, New York Community, Roslyn Savings, Valley National, all these small banks that have historically been the largest provider of multifamily capital, they're gonna be in a tough spot, two, twofold. Number one, they have this issue today where people aren't paying rents. And number two, they changed the regulations recently which have basically dropped values of multifamily assets because you can't recover, you know, reinvestments in the properties by probably 20%. So I I see a massive, massive problem for New York city, small regional banks that have had a large market share. I don't see how they get out of that now, I think they were in trouble to begin with. This is going to make it even worse. So that's just on the multifamily side. On the commercial side, obviously all hotels are shut. So basically across the country, there's no income in hotels and unlikely to be for some period of time. And again, what I said about Vegas—you know, people booking—you um, know, events. Well, that's true for lots of big hotels across the country. We we are serving as an as a financing advisor for the Rich Carlton. In South Beach, which just reopened after two years. I made the loan a few years ago. It got closed because of Irma. It just got reopened. It just opened in time for the Super Bowl. They put all their rooms back online. They'd gotten up to about 85 or 90% occupancy in season. Well, guess what? That's closed. It's got a $250 million loan in place. It's got a senior securitized loan, and it has a meds position. Well, we've sent out to all the the, le- the senior lender and the mes lender, saying we need six months of standstill because for sure for six months we're not going to be able to pay debt service. Now I don't I don't know what the answer is going to be. Let's assume they decide that's not a good answer and they want to start foreclosing. Well, guess what? It's not so easy to, to go to the court systems today to get any real action. So there's a perfect example of a deal that was completely rebuilt. Right, the number one hotel in South Beach. After having been shut for two years, okay and and it won't be able to pay debt service for six months. That's true across every hotel across the United States. I don't there, there is no answer. the The servicing companies that have these loans that they service, yeah. the the lenders, whether it's a securitized loan, or whether it's an insurance company or bank, they, they're not getting debt service for at least six months. Because guess what? You have employees you have to pay. You have property taxes you have to pay. When you reopen, there's a startup period, three, four, five months. So again, it, that's a, I, I just don't see unless the government steps in and provides some sort of, um, you know, f- um, you know, uh, business interruption insurance for that sector. I, I don't see how, how it gets back. So, yeah, how much uh, but, of
0: this is reflected in the public markets right now? Any any concept of um,
1: that? Yeah. I mean, I think the, so, so when you look at the equity REITs, retail has already been a four letter word for a long time. We, We sell more distressed malls across the country than anyone else. And they've been selling at, you know, 15 caps. Okay. Because they're basically people are buying them for the land value to scrape what's there. So, so that sector CBL and some of these small, you know, um, Mall REITs, they're getting killed, but the big guys are too. So that sector was already in trouble. But there's a lot of retail that that you can think about in your own local markets where there's a grocery store, a drug store, you know, a nail salon, a pizza place. I mean, you guys know what I'm talking about. That retail, by and large, you know, you would think is a survivor, but that doesn't mean that all the tenants are going to be paying rent in the next three, four, five months, probably half will, half won't, right? And then that's a whole again, that's a whole nother restructuring. So the equity REITs, you know, SL Green, okay, we do a lot of business with SL Green, Mark Holiday, who's the CEO I went to business school with. Okay, they they own great office buildings in New York City. Their stock price is in half. Why is their stock price in half? Well, you know, Mostly because the perception is real estate values in the short term have been affected. I don't, I don't know that anyone who owns that stock can tell you how it's being priced. I could tell you if we called Mark Holiday right now, he'd say it doesn't make any sense. I could liquidate all the properties, you know, probably at double the stock price. Hmm. So, again, the, the, the place that I would focus on if you want to get a good sense of what's happening are the mortgage rates. You know, and the big ones, Blackstone and Starwood and Apollo and all these guys have all been hammered because the the perception there is they all have short-term repo financings and they're going to have a hard time keeping those up. And there's going to be a cash crisis and those guys are not going to be able to make loans because there's no properties being sold. So the, the, the runoff... Of the existing portfolios of mortgages which have been impaired, with very new supply of new loans, so that so the perception of of the mortgage rates that I understand I've been in that business. That's a tough place to be right now, and I don't see that changing. That's probably the best place to look at if you want to understand what's happening in the commercial real estate world. And some of those companies are down 75, 80, 90 percent, you know, ladder capital. You know, I, I know the guys at Ladder really well. They started, when I started CCRE, they started Ladder. Uh, Pam McCormick, who's the president, used to work for me at CS. The head of asset management used to work for me there. Okay, they're a great company, but guess what? They're on life support. They just hired Mollison Company to help them think about strategic initiatives. That, that's not a good place to be in, the, in a market where there's no visibility of, you know, short-term business coming back anytime soon. No, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm usually, yeah. I'm usually yeah. a pretty positive person, Shane, as you know.
0: No, I know. I
1: hate to, I hate to say <laughs> nothing that's positive here, but
0: I'm just being straightforward. No, no. And I prefer that you be real because I, I think this is exactly what this is all about. And that's why we want to go so deep, but uh, you're right. I've never really heard you talk. So um, uh, I guess real, but also see how obscure really things are. Any sense of sy- uh, systemic effects here and any spillover or, How much leverage is on some of these credit portfolios? Do we have to worry about something like a milder version of what happened in 08 at all?
1: Um, It's different, right? Because the banks are in good shape. So, you know, possibly when things get back to normal, you know, office buildings where people are still paying rent and, you know, again, some of the smaller retail assets where people are paying rent, industrial buildings, you know, we sell a lot of industrial buildings you know, tenants like Amazon and folks like that. I mean, those, those properties are fine, right? They're not really affected other than if you were trying to sell one, if the buyer can't get financing, they're walking. I can tell you, and I won't mention some of the buyers' names because they're real companies and this hasn't hit the press, but we've seen over the last two weeks, you know, big-time buyers, big-time private equity guys walking away from 10, 15, $20 million hard deposits on large transactions. That means they believe the value of the asset must be impaired even bigger than their deposit.
0: Yeah, yep, no, that makes sense. And let me ask you this, in terms of development, um, what's kind of happening there? I mean, I still see construction workers out there. Um, what's what's kind of the ripple effect on the construction industry and even architects, engineers?
1: yeah, I mean, let's just talk about buildings that are under construction. I think you'd rather be building a hotel than owning a hotel right now. So um you know they've they've stopped construction work in, in new york and then in l a and some other uh, I think all California. So you know there it'll be some disruption in that, but by and large, I think people believe that there's going to be very new construction starts. So anything that was already in the ground in good markets, by the time it's built will probably be okay. This has definitely put a damper on new construction. So architects and engineers and guys that had you know 20 deals sitting in front of them that they were working on, those deals are not happening now because all the construction lenders are going to be in a position where the construction loans they have on their books are gonna take much, much longer to get taken out so as a result, they're going to be very, very few and far in between in terms of new, new construction loans getting started. And a lot of the construction lending had been done by the mortgage REITs and non-banks. Okay? And all of those guys are sitting worrying about their existing portfolio and their own funding. So the last thing they're doing is thinking about starting a new construction loan.
0: And let me ask you that, so touching on that, because so Pam Citron, who's on the line here, had a great point, though. A lot of the loan servicing is actually done through India, which is basically a, beyond a shutdown from anything we could ever imagine. What, what do you see happening with that?
1: Um, we have, as part of our so we have about $60 billion in, in, in commercial loans, mostly multifamily that we service. We do have people in India. We have a, um, another business uh, called Spring 11 where we do – uh underwriting for large banks where we have a fair amount of people in India. Um and at Canner we have a fair amount of back office folks in India. People are working remote. Um, you know, whether people working remote are as productive as uh being in an office, you know, I think there's a lot of debate about that. So I won't touch on that. But, you know, look, it's it's, you know, the 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 servicing business has never, including in 08 no 09, has never had at one time as many loan requests for some sort of problem like we have now. So even if everything was working perfectly, the the servicing companies are not set up for every hotel in the United States to need to be restructured. They're just not set up that way, right? If you think about 08 and 09, the causes of over-leverage meant that in many of these loans, there were large meds positions, and the way they got worked out is the Mes guys stepped in. Usually there was enough MES liquidity, even when the market was tough, tough to buy at enough of a discount to solve the problem. And, and maybe the hotels, you know, were, you may have thought a hotel was worth a hundred million dollars and you had $90 million in financing and maybe now it's worth 80. So there was an impairment of value, but there was still income to underwrite. Here there's no income to underwrite. So I could tell you our appraisers are being called by servicing companies asking us to go out and review, you know, properties to appraise. Well, number one, we can't get into properties, right? So you can't really do real appraisals because you can't do site inspections. And number two, I don't know, no one can really tell you when people are going to go back to hotels. Right. Right. You know, the the, the whole business was not set up for an entire sector, retail and multi and, and hotels, shut down all at once it just was not set up for that
0: so, so touching on that then what do you see kind of as the expected uh, vacancy rates surfacing out of, when this all comes to pass I mean you know if we, do we see a reduction in square footage from office spaces because people are getting accustomed to working from home uh, do we see a big shift towards co-working spaces like what are you seeing in, in general for that
1: well I could tell you from our you know so I've been in a lot of the meetings with WeWork believe it or not, they still have their members paying, shockingly. Okay. So I, I don't I don't know that I don't know that any any traditional office space is gonna really change. You know, I think people are going to potentially take less space than they might have otherwise because they're afraid of this coming back more than anything else. So again, I, I think I think in the commercial and industrial space that'll snap back quicker. Uh, because at some point financing will come back, and 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 there will be a sense of, you know, people getting back to normal. Again, as it relates to retail and you know, probably snap back quicker than hotels. The hotel business, you know, when when you think about a hotel shutting and then starting over again, it has to. It's an operating business. It's got to go hire people, right? You have to assume most of the people that you laid off are not necessarily going to be there. They have to be trained. They got to get people feeling comfortable traveling again. They got to start booking events, whether they're corporate or social events. So I, I think the hotel industry, you know, it's a, it's a. Whenever the economy starts again, it's a year before they feel anything back to normal. Whether they get back to the same level, that I don't know. You know, it's anyone's guess, but, you know, doesn't feel like that to me. I,
2: I, I I'd add something though to your WeWorks because I have two different WeWorks. Everyone that I know that's in a WeWorks has stopped paying their bill, and that's multiple people. The challenge that they had was, is you had to go in because WeWorks will not let you, you cannot, you have to pay online, you have to pay by a credit card of some sort, right? So they have that built in, right? But I I talked to an entrepreneur yesterday, and he just basically brought his account down to zero, so when WeWorks was gonna pay, they didn't pull, right? Because no one could unwind the WeWork payment. But I, I, you know, in the entrepreneurial world of the people that I know, I mean, I, I've got an office. I've no, I, have an, I have a WeWorks that was in Charlotte, and then I used um, multiple WeWorks in New York. Now, a lot of the New York ones have a big corporate presence, like Fulton's mostly Deutsche Bank, right? And so a lot of the banks have it. But on the individual entrepreneurs that are sitting in the WeWorks, I don't think they're getting paid from them as much as they might be saying they are
1: yeah I mean time will tell, right? Certainly yeah. it's not looking good.
2: but I have an idea for the WeWorks though, right? In terms of you know, I mean, if you think about New York, right? there's a WeWorks on every corner now, right? It's the largest real estate space in New York, right? But they could put, start making those safe office spaces for well people, like when they talk about bringing people back to work, WeWorks could reorient it how they open those those buildings to make sure they're corona free change model.
1: Yeah, I mean, so Sandeep, who's the new CEO, I've known Sandeep for over 25 years. Um, He's been mostly uh, one of the leading experts in the retail business, Um, you know, was at Vernado, helped them rebuild their entire retail business and went to, um, you know, the mall company, GGP, uh, which got restructured by Brookfield. And, you know, he looks at this slightly differently and, and i knew adam but i certainly didn't know adam well the prior ceo who you know his theory was just take as much space as you can and we'll figure it out later i mean Sandeep is doing what you would expect someone like to do is look at the health ratio of each location what are my revenues what are my expenses what is my occupancy forget forget what it is today what was it where could it be and you know i'm going to cut costs where i can and 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 keep space where I think I can continue to grow, where I already had a high occupancy and I was making money. I mean, he, he's actually looking, and I've met with all the SoftBank guys prior to them hiring him, because we had a relationship. Um, so we did all of T um, the Sprint uh, real estate work. I don't know if you guys saw, but Sprint and T-Mobile actually did their merger today. So we knew all the SoftBank guys from representing them on Sprint. And you know, before they hired Sandeep, we had been meeting with them and you know, they, were, they had stepped in, they brought all the you know, the, the SoftBank folks into their corporate offices on 18th Street and they started doing what you would expect, property by property, location by location. Is this a winner, is it a loser, is it too early to tell? And unfortunately, there's no other way to do that business.
0: Yes. Does anybody have any questions for Anthony? I know given that you've already lived through this coming out of 08, you've probably seen some things that will repeat itself but anybody want to ask a question?
3: I I have a question. So, uh, hi, it's Josh Gottlieb. Um, hey. so, so you, you mentioned uh, a few real estate properties mark to market are, they, they have no bids. So, so that the value value, of the real estate isn't accurately priced and, and, um, and for instance some stocks are 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 trading uh, below their liquidation value. And so I was wondering if that has anything to do with um, the U.S. Treasury's market because with repo transactions um, sometimes mortgage-backed securities and um, commercial mortgage-backed securities are used as collateral for those transactions. And if the mark-to-market valuations aren't functioning properly or there's too much discrepancy right now, um, the markets are, um, really undervaluing that collateral and there's a lot of capital on the side. So I'm wondering if that's affecting, um, uh, real estate across the equity markets and, and, um, just other real estate properties that you're seeing right now.
1: So, so typically when treasury rates go down, it's great for real estate because most borrowers do 10 year loans that are priced at an index above a 10 year treasury. So, normally, when interest rates are going down, it's great for real estate. And, you know, we have, I don't want to get into politics, but we have a real estate guy as president. I promise you, him beating up, you know, uh, everyone about interest rates staying low is because he's a real estate guy and that's good for real estate. And all of his friends are real estate guy. He has a lot of real estate. So usually as you see treasury rates staying low, it's very positive for real estate. And and that was true for the last two or three years, we've had enormous, um, you know, um, capital markets activity, people buying and selling and people are buying and selling because financing was plentiful and cheap. You know, we just did in uh, third week of uh, January, We were the selling advisor on a $1.9 billion multifamily portfolio. Uh, My group represented the buyer and did $1.2 billion in financing, mostly through uh, Freddie Mac. So the reason that deal sold is because the debt markets were plentiful. And, you know, there was a fair amount of private capital that were willing to invest. You know, these are are A-minus assets where the expected you know five to ten year return because it's a big portfolio it's going to sell some early is probably 12 13 14 that's kind of what the investors expect to get whether they get that now put that aside okay so so typically you know real estate follows the treasury market however when we get to a point where there's no liquidity and you know whether you know barry Sternley came on and said you know recently and i know barry pretty well in fact, the the president of their mortgage trust, Jeff Demonica and I have been friends for thirty years. Okay. So when he gets on and says we should suspend mark to market, it's because he believes as a private, as a public company, when there's no real liquidity, you shouldn't mark to the worst bid, because the worst bid is a desperate seller, right? And probably some hedge fund who's looking to pick off some desperate seller who has a cash squeeze. So there's no mark there's no real bid. So nobody can really tell you what the mark should be. But when there's no liquidity, it either means that at some point values have to get so low in real estate that people will buy with very little financing because they think the returns are so high or there'll be a return to normalcy and, you know, the markets will open up again. Banks will make loans. There'll be repo financing and and that whole process will start again. That's likely what's going to happen here. So I, I don't think SL Green being at 50 cents on the dollar represents in New York City and at least, you know, any real, you know, true mark to market. You know, I, I just don't I, I don't see that.
3: Mm-hmm. And 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 you're saying this could last, though. We don't know when this will end, for instance.
1: I mean, look, it's hard to believe that this is not a six or nine month problem in real estate. It's just, it's just, it's just the way it goes. You know, you collect rents, you, you pay, now people are going to not have income. They have to pay property taxes. Lots of guys are going to still pay mortgages. So there, there'll be a period of adjustment, you know, other than probably for industrial and some of the best office buildings in the markets, there's going to be a period of adjustment. It's just going to take a while.
3: Thank you. That was really clear. Appreciate it.
0: Anyone else before we switch gears to residential? All right. Uh, So we also have on Amy Saunders and Hakeem Valles. I'll let you guys kind of introduce yourself. Would love to kind of get your take on what's going on with some of the properties you guys have under management. And I'll let you guys kind of take it from here. So Amy, if you want to go first.
4: Uh, So I am with Titan Capital. We are an owner-operator out of the southeast. We're based in Atlanta, Georgia, but have about 2,600 units across the southeast in total. Um, My background is in finance. I'm really responsible for structuring any new acquisitions that we're doing, but given the circumstances and the way that we've all had to adapt to our new normal, uh, we're starting to look at just making sure that the current portfolio is intact and ready to weather whatever storm that is and to anthony's point it could be six it could be 12 or 18 months so just trying to work through what that looks like at each one of those different milestones
5: that's good hey what's going on everybody shane appreciate you having me on the uh the call and wishing good health to everyone on this call because i think we can all agree that this shit is crazy right now um My name's Hakeem. I played in the NFL for three years and bought properties along the way. Uh, I currently only own 13 units. Um, It's a little bit out of you guys' leagues. Um, But in the process of getting into larger multifamily syndication, but obviously right now that's not going to happen. With my current properties that I have, obviously, you know, today's April 1st. um, All of our rents are due by the 5th. So we're kind of. I haven't got, no one's actually reached out to me personally. Um, like any of my property managers that any of our tenants have had an actual, you know, situation that they wanted to be proactive about and get on top of. So we're really just waiting until the fifth to see who actually pays and who doesn't pay. And as of now, our game plan is kind of just dealing with it as at like as, at an individual case by case basis, you know, so if, you know, you miss three months of rent, we'll figure out a way on how to, uh, you know, prorate that over the the future years, but I think you know the residual effect of this is going to be massive. Um, like the gentleman was saying earlier, um, you know, I I don't I I don't see this getting any better for you know at minimum six to nine months, and who knows um, just the residual effect, how bad it's actually going to be.
0: So, what are you guys seeing in terms of you know the effect of stimulus packages? some of the cash flows that you guys are facing right now
4: well from the Titan side it's still a little too early to tell um, where we fall in that spectrum from any government relief Um, but we are doing whatever we can to educate the current residents to make sure that they're aware of what they're eligible for um, should it come to those circumstances Um, but we actually have been tracking collections For April, thinking that most people had gotten at least half a month's paycheck and so far things are still on trend as if business was performing as normal, Um, but we are starting to take those efforts now that the staff within the offices don't have as much to do as far as new clientele coming in, switching their roles into educating our residents on what they can and cannot get from the government and see where they're eligible. We've also um, looked into partnering with a private group called Residential Relief uh, for instances of different residents that have paid on time for a consistent period of time. And it's just this one-off where they may be an hourly worker that that was in a restaurant or some other business that has been mandated to shut down. So there's a couple different plans there. And then as far as what the future holds for them actually paying with any relief that they have, knowing that they have other bills and need to feed themselves and their families as well. Trying to work through what payment plans that we can set up on a case-by-case basis to make sure that these people still have homes and we can also keep the lights on.
0: What are some of the key bullet points that you're getting as kind of the relief packages? You just wanted to share that. So what's coming from the government that uh, you're able to um, kind of funnel this educational knowledge to the people on this call, but also to your, uh, to your clients?
4: Yeah. So there's a couple, It there's still so much that's uncertain. There's not a whole lot of detail that was, um, presented, but there is a PPE plan, uh, that was presented that allows one as the employer to basically get funding from the government to cover your payroll. So if any of them are self, self-employed or work for a small business, they may be eligible uh, for some of that stimulus. I can't recall the name of the first piece of the...
2: It's called the, the government Protection was- Program, and it's a loan, and it opens up for non-1099 people on Friday, and then it'll open mm-hmm. up for those... It's the first time they've done lending around the 1099s, so it, I think it opens up on the 8th for anybody that would be a 1099 or self-employed, and then that program opens up to, to the general people on Friday. The, the Payroll Protection Act to get that payroll going for employees for um, you know the idea is if you can pay the employees the employees will pay their rent so I, I talked to a couple banks about it yesterday.
4: Yeah that's very helpful.
0: And Hakeem and then what are you seeing in your territories up in uh, I guess you have some in Detroit right and
5: then some scattered elsewhere? The Detroit, Phoenix, and Iowa, Des Moines, um, kind of uh, double down on what Amy said. We essentially are just putting together like one-pagers to send out to our tenants. Um, that, because I think there's so much information being put out right now, that one, nobody knows where to, like, you know, the stimulus package, um, and, you know, everyone being eligible to, you know, get a certain amount of money. A lot of people don't a lot of your everyday people don't actually understand the details of it and what to kind of do and next steps and things like that. So just as a value add to our tenants, um, putting together stuff like that and then just from like a small scale, putting together lists of like the local restaurants in the area of uh, places that are doing delivery places that are doing grab and go um, just to kind of just keep everybody at a, you know, a state of peace of mind.
0: No, that's helpful. And what about from just like general landlord behavior? What are, what are you seeing um you know what are some of the tactics being used or some of the courtesies getting being given
5: then from like a courtesy like uh like uh like rent forgiveness type of thing
0: yep yeah, that, yeah that'd be
5: one one example yes yeah um i mean i know you know people who just up front just kind of like knock out three months and like up front to their tenants and instead of like playing the waiting game or seeing if they they would reach out just to uh kind of relieve that pressure up front and like up front implement the future payment plan so like the like future nine months essentially adding money onto like the back end um and then besides that i know a couple of landlords who have uh like gotten like pizza delivered to like their prop to, like, to their properties to like all of their tenants and like just to kind of just just to keep the uh what's the word peace of mind for a bunch of people and I think small acts like that though definitely help keep the uh, the energy high or not get too low especially on some of those larger properties
0: and then Zeke I know you're on I think you had an interesting uh, uh, issue that came up I think today or yesterday if you wanted to share with the group um,
6: yeah so I guess my the issue that I, I think you're referencing is yeah uh, you know, I was I, I came up I came up against a renewal of my of my current lease um, and i had I, my, my building is owned by toll brothers um, and i was trying to figure out how and whether um, that, that would you know the, the rent increase would actually be sustainable um, and i continued to get pushback from uh, from my from the toll brothers agents that that was something that you know unfortunately they they needed to continue to stand by um, so that, that's kind of my my personal dilemma, um, but you know something where I kind of feel like I'm between a rock and a hard spot at this point. Need to continue, need to increase my rent. It wasn't anything that was insanely, you um, know, wasn't kind of a groundbreaking number, but it certainly was something that uh, you know could be meaningful
0: down the line. Got it. And then like so, Amy and Hakeem on the on the cash flow side of things. So how much? issue is there like covering the mortgages uh do you see kind of six months out for now
4: i think it will be case by case and property by property um just given that this is a pandemic and we don't know where the hot spots will be those properties will be hit hit harder than others um but cash is always king so that's something that we're consistently looking at on a month-to-month basis i don't think Anyone was prepared for a pandemic, Um, but as of right now, we're in a relatively strong position to weather it out now, 12 months from now. And if no one is paying the rent, then you're in a different situation. But you have two things playing against you either if you're not completely filled right now and you have vacancy issues right now, the chances are you're not going to fill your property up over the next 12 months while people aren't really mobile. And then, of course, the second part is people not paying the rents that are if you are occupied. So, there's a couple factors that are playing into will you have the cash in 12 months from now? Don't really have insight into that, but we're trying to use whatever resources we have currently to bridge the gap as long as we can. Of course, this is an investment for investors as well and trying to keep. Uh, them abreast of the situation. We're not doing any distributions in the near future, but just making sure that we are protecting their capital as much as we can during this process too.
0: And Any sense if you're kind of above average, average on the spectrum in terms of being able to handle this in terms of cash flow? I,
4: I would say it's too early to tell. Uh, we have assets that are in various different states in the in their cycle. We do value add. So We just closed on an asset in December, and then we actually literally just closed on one basically as the government was shutting people down um, and telling them to shelter in place. So those have strong cash positions because we just raised all of the equity for value add. So if need be, we can use those CapEx budgets. Um, But for those properties that we've had since 2014, some of those may be coming up where their interest only period is over, and those are the ones that... I'm a bit more cautious of and watching it a little bit tighter.
0: Got it. And then, Hakeem, what are you saying?
5: Yeah, I mean, for us, it's, it's more having, like, it's, like she said, it's kind of a property-by-property property type of basis. In um, terms of, like, right now, we're straight for at least the next six months from a cash reserves standpoint. Um, it's obviously way too early to tell until – for us at least the fifth we see on okay who's actually paying who's not paying and then reassessing to know okay this is going to be low it's going to be high and then you know thankfully you know just as an investor you keep your own personal nest egg to uh in case of these types of emergency situations to kind of figure it all out do you guys see any um
0: this is kind of your opinion uh like what's going to be the type of housing more in favor after all this? Do you see kind of a flight to single-family homes? Do you see people moving
5: to the suburbs,
0: kind of getting out of urban areas? Like, what do you you guys think?
5: From my own perspective, I I think it's it's, depends on how bad this, you know, this whole corona thing is. You know, if there's a second wave again, come like fall and winter and it gets as bad as it's getting right now again, um, I think there'll be, just from like a a conscious standpoint as like as the country is like, as it pertains to the country i think people are going to move away from crowded cities um just considering the 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 effect of something like this and you know this is something that didn't exist in any of our realities you know three to four months ago and now it's this is this is real and it's possible and if it tend, if it actually repeats itself come the fall come the winter and then if it continues to do that i think people might actually shift you know from a a conscientious standpoint on where they actually are thinking about living do i want to be around a whole bunch of people do i want to be in a crowded city like new york or you know what i mean and going out to more of the world type of areas but it's obviously way too early to tell
2: i had a question shane on the call that you had on saturday right Mm -hmm. um i believe one of the gentlemen had brought up the weather right and it and the projections being tropical storms are going to be um higher than you know they have been in the past and that i, I would think would have some kind of bearing on real estate as well
0: yeah sure so the top of your time House. so basically the issue of climate change and impact from extreme weather you know none of that's going away and and we talked about on saturday that's actually supposed to be at all-time highs this year again you know i think last year many places experienced uh 2,000 year storms, right? And it's just becoming more and more the normal. So hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, heat waves, all that's going to be impacting. And, And again, your point to having an effect on real estate is absolutely valid. So I don't know what you guys think about that.
4: It is a good question. I, to be honest, don't follow it close enough since none of our properties are specific to coastal cities. In those um, instances, but we can say even in New York and New Jersey, we had a pretty, pretty hot winter this, this time around, and almost had the same temperatures that Atlanta had during the winter, which is new. Um, but yeah, I don't think I, I don't think we've considered that as part of changing our investment strategy so far. So I couldn't really give you a good, good answer
5: yeah i i, I to double down on amy i i i don't think i'm well versed enough to, i wish i was on that call to get a little bit more context on that but it's something to think about i think a lot of these global changes like obviously this health pandemic and then climate change as it as it every year continues you know as the charts continue to speed up the what the effects are going to be i think it's going to have some type of play on real estate but i personally haven't done my own uh, research dug into the weeds on how it's going to affect it, and just like Amy, I, I don't do much investing in uh, coastal cities either.
6: I think the the, the article that was referenced was, and, and I was and I was the one who was looking into it. Um, that there is going to be, I think, what they said was between four and five level four storms uh, over this tropical storm season, uh, and with with a, a total output of between twelve and fifteen total storms that will have other varying category categorical ratings. Um, and you know, based on that, regardless of whether or not I think they're coastal, because we're dealing with this pandemic in this market, uh, you know, we have deep market considerations. I think there, you know, if, if there really is going to be a massive, um, if, if if there are going to be a, a large uptick in storms that we're going to hit uh, levels we haven't seen before, um, you know, what is the general? Uh, What's what the general impact of the market going to be, which will, you know, in all likelihood hit non-coastal cities as well, I would imagine.
0: Yeah, and it's not, it's not just about oceans rising, right? I think, you know, everything's at risk in terms of you know, potential flood damage, like how things are built, where they're developed. You know, all that might have to be rethought a bit, especially for any new development. Does anybody else have any, just opening up for questions? I've got a question.
5: Um, yeah, my name is Assad Wathiq. I am with BDO. I'm in San Francisco. I was curious for for those of you that are carrying bank debt, have banks been proactive in talking to you about restructure and relief? Uh, they have it with me, but I, I think I'm going to plan on making an outreach call to see what that kind of looks like. But uh, I haven't seen any outreach myself.
4: I have not either. Um, we work with a variety of different lenders, but I do think that they are working through what they are allowed and allowed not to do. So before they reach out to us, I think they're internally, I know we were looking at quite a few deals here in the last two weeks um, and they couldn't even price us interest rates or if they could even fund the deal in the 60-day typical period. So, I think over the next couple of weeks, we might start to see that a little bit more, but as of right now, we're all just trying to <laughs> prevent from sinking.
0: Anybody else?
4: I will say this is unrelated to being a property manager, but as a buyer in the market, I'm actually getting quite a few phone calls from people that are already starting to set up their funds to do to get into the market once we have some more uh, stronger footing for, for those distressed seller type of situations. So while property managers are starting to hunker down and make sure that they can weather the storm, there's also a bunch of dry powder that is getting ready to pounce in the market and take advantage of the situation. Now they might not be able to close for the next 120 days but they are ready to get to work.
0: Yeah, I and mean, this is one of the questions I think Zeke and I were talking about too is, you know, is there going to be an overcapacity of inventory on the market? It's probably a little bit too early to tell. Either people can't pay their mortgages uh, versus are people going to be moving out of the cities looking for more things that's going to drive the prices up? It's all kind of in flux right now. I don't know if anybody has a really good answer to that. One quick question that came in here for property owners, what does the new lease and credit backgrounds look like? So basically does, basically, does the criteria get more stringent? Might be too early to tell. I don't think we know. I think it'll depend on how much uh, fallout there is from this and the exposure for some of these banks. It's really going to come down to the lenders, is our guess. So we'll see how that evolves. And again, we'll probably have to revisit this topic here eh, maybe in a month's time or so just to see after you know, the, the apex kind of hits. Well, with that thanks again for joining um the next one will be on mental health i think we'll try to target that for next wednesday as we try to compile that and uh, as you guys know addiction will be on the rise after this uh is all over and you know how do we stem that off or how do we even cope with some of the things going on now as people are kind of confined together so that's what we'll be talking about